teaching of Pastor Al Pittman. And on this episode, we continue in the book of Acts. Are you aware that this book of the Bible is still being written? It's true. The book of Acts is open-ended and continues to this very day through the acts of the Holy Spirit in the people of God. What a privilege to be a part of writing church history as we cooperate with the people building God's kingdom here on earth. With those inspiring thoughts, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 8 and join Pastor Al Pittman. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We are going uh, back into the book of Acts. We had a little hiatus there for Easter, and man, what a wonderful celebration Easter was. And uh, But as Pastor Nathan shared, the Lord is moving forward. He's the God not only of the past, but the present and the future. So we are in Acts chapter 8. And by the way, the Lord is still writing the book of Acts through our lives and in our lives. Uh, he is still moving. He is still working today. Amen. Well, in Acts chapter 8, as we saw last time, we were in Acts chapter 7, uh, and uh, Stephen was martyred. And as a result of Stephen being martyred, he's one of the first martyr in the New Testament church, uh, a persecution, persecution, not a, but the persecution uh, broke out. Persecution has now come to the church, and they're being persecuted, uh, as we will see here in just a moment. But I think the main message, if there's a theme for this message that I want to share with you, that it is this, that whether it is persecution or pandemic, God is still on the throne. This is really the message of the text as we go through the text today. God is still on the throne. I was uh, reading a, per, a friend of mine emailed me today, and, and uh, he sent this little joke along. I thought it was pretty funny. I hope it gives you a chuckle or two in regards to the coronavirus. He said, the coronavirus has turned us all into dogs. We roam the house all day long looking for food. We're told no if we get too close to strangers and we get really excited about car rides. Amen to that. Maybe you can relate to that. Uh, I'm not saying you're a dog. Amen. But sometimes you feel like one with this coronavirus being quarantined in your home and all of that. But God is still on the throne. Whether it be persecution or pandemic, God is still on the throne. Let's begin our study by looking at verses 1 to 4, if you read along with me. And uh, beginning at verse 1 of Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. Stephen had just been stoned to death, the first martyr of the church, and Saul, who would become Paul, the apostle, was consenting in agreement with Stephen's death. The Bible goes on to say that at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the, the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul persecuting the church, and he would later become Paul the Apostle. And we will get into that uh, later on as we go through the, 
the book of Acts. But uh, persecution has come to the church. Nonetheless, the church is scattered. Everyone scattering from Jerusalem because of persecution, except for the apostles, they remained in Jerusalem. And remember, Jesus told the disciples, he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's interesting here that the believers had become very comfortable in Jerusalem. Things had gotten a little cozy in Jerusalem. I mean, the excitement was there in Jerusalem. The church was growing in Jerusalem. People were being saved. Miracles being performed there in Jerusalem. It was really comfortable for them, but persecution changed all of that. It may come as a surprise to some of you that historically, God has used persecution many times to accomplish his divine agenda. And I believe, and there will be some who would disagree with me, but I do believe that God is using this pandemic as he did the persecution in the days of the early church to accomplish his divine agenda today. You see, the church is supposed to go out into uh, uh, Judea, Samaria, the other parts of the world. They got comfortable in Jerusalem and God allowed persecution to come to get his agenda accomplished, sending them out into the world. God is using I believe this pandemic even today, using that which Satan meant for evil for his own divine purpose. And he's doing it in two ways. Number one, he's doing it in the life of the believer. He's awakening us as individual believers. What do you mean by that, Pastor? He's awakening us. He's awakening us to what, what do we really believe? Do we really believe God's word? Do we really trust the Lord in the midst of the storm? I don't know about you, but my faith has been challenged. Do I really believe and trust God in a time such as this? Here's the second reason, the way that God is using the pandemic. I believe he's speaking to the church, getting the church back in line, if you will, with his divine agenda. Remember, his divine agenda was to take the gospel throughout the entire world, but they got comfortable in Jerusalem. And I think for us as believers today, we've become comfortable ourselves. Remember, Jesus said in the parable of the great supper in Luke chapter 14. Jesus said this. He said, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. He was telling a story about the master of the house wanting people to come in and to, to uh, partake of his table and, and that, and that uh, his house may, may be filled. And the, there were people who were invited uh, that didn't have time to go to the master's house. And the master said, go into the highways and the byways. Go out there and invite people who are not qualified to be here or whatever, but invite people to come that my house may be filled. It's really an exhortation about evangelism. Jesus was conveying in this story. For us as the church to go out into the highways and the byways. Well, you know, the Greek word for compel, he said, compel them to come in. Jesus said in that parable in Luke 14. The Greek word for para, uh, compel, rather, is agonazo, and it means necessitate, drive to constrain. To drive to or to constrain, to 
follow a course of action. Compel them. Be constrained to go to them. Make it necessary, a necessary part of your life to compel them to come in. It's of necessity. And yet, many believers today, especially in the Western church, I might add, are no longer compelled, but we've grown complacent. We're complacent. More concerned with, if you will, the creature comforts of the church. What do you have for me? What has the church done for me lately? Than they are about the Great Commission, about being compelled to go to the world. COVID-19 has shaken the church, shaken many churches from our complacency back to the fields. The Lord said in John chapter 4, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Seems like people have forgotten in the church that we are to be reaping, to be in the fields. And then Jesus said, lift up your eyes. And I always wonder, why would he say lift up your eyes? Because in my mind, I think sometimes we are too busy as a church looking down at our own shoes and admiring ourselves. Or looking at the shoes of other believers, what kind of shoes they're wearing. Oh, are those lace-ups or slip-ons, you know. And judging one another. Lift up your head, he said. Get your eyes on the field. It's white for harvest. And rather than be about the Lord's business, we've been complacent. And I believe COVID-19 has shaken the church. Put an urgency within us to get back into the field. Why? Because people are dying. But they've already been dying. They've been dying all the time. But you know what? We've been numb to it. I believe the Lord is awakening his church. The Lord said he would make us fishers of men. And the pandemic for many churches and even our own church has awakened many churches to the fact that the best fishing can be done on the Internet, online. Why? Because people are there. I report to you, and I've sent out a memo to our church, a video about this, but... Just wanted to say it again that, you know what, to, the, to God be the glory. But in the last several weeks, we've seen more people come to Jesus Christ than we have in the whole, the last past year. More decisions for Christ online than, than we've seen in the, the last year. God is awakening his church, awakening his church. Now, now some church leaders would rather uh, preach against and criticize technological innovations rather than be innovative in reaching the world through technology. It's easier to sit there and curse the darkness than it is to light a candle. God's called us in this day and time to light a candle, to be about his agenda. He told us to be fishers of men, to go out there and catch fish. It's not our job to clean the fish. As someone once said, but it's our job to be fishers of men to catch the fish. And in doing so, we fulfill God's agenda. 
That's why I say I believe this pandemic is bringing us back to God's agenda. This pandemic is reminding the church to lift up your eyes upon the field. It is white for harvest. To get back to your father's agenda. What is that? Get into the highways, into the byways. It's not just the internet. It's door to door. It's whatever means. Paul said, by all means, I will win some. I will save some. Let us use every means to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The hour is late. It's time to reap the harvest. I believe that's what the Lord is saying to the church today in this pandemic. We move on in our text, beginning at verse 5. Uh, verse 4, actually. I left off at verse 3. Verse 4 says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere. Again, accomplishing God's purpose. I'm sure they were wondering, why is God allowing this to happen? <laughs> he told you to go to Judea, Samaria, the almost parts of the earth, and you're stuck in Jerusalem. And he's sending them out. They're going everywhere, and they're preaching the word. Then the Bible says here in verse 5, it says, Then Philip came, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them and the multitudes with one accord. Multitudes of people heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many. People were demon-possessed. They were being delivered. Who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Amen. A mighty move of God took place in a most unlikely place, Samaria. Well, well, why would you say it's an unlikely place? Well, Samaria is probably about, I think it's about 42 miles, for it is 42 miles north of Jerusalem, and that's 67.5 kilometers north of Jerusalem. And uh, it was an unlikely place where you, the, the Spirit of God would move because the religious Jews despise Samaria. Samaria had a tainted history. In 722 B.C., Samaria, which was the capital city of northern Israel, was conquered by the Assyrians. And when the Assyrians conquer a place, they, will, they, have to, they would uh, normally replace the population of that place with another population. They would take out all the educated people and whatever and remove a large portion of the population to another location so they could, you know, uh, there would be no chance of anybody, any uprising or anything like that. And then they would take another group of people from other places and transport them into that place. In other words, they brought other peoples in who worshiped other gods and all to Samaria. And the Jews that were living there were mixed with those peoples and their cultures. And therefore, the religious Jews in Jesus' day wouldn't even go through Samaria because they thought it was a, a defiled place. And yet, we see God moving. <laughs> Where? In Samaria. God moved mightily there. A great lesson for us, excuse me, when it comes to the character of our God. And that lesson is that God is sovereign. 
to move in unexpected places and in unlikely through unlikely people. Think about some of the people that God called to ministry. Some of the places that God moved mightily. God is not limited by us. He is sovereign. And he moved in Samaria. Multitudes were coming to Christ. I was watching television the other day and uh, the my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, was in the Rose Garden at a press conference at the White House. My pillow guy. Now, he wasn't holding his pillow, amen. <laughs> One of his comforters, but he had the comforter with him. Mike Lindell got up there and, and he kind of gave his little spiel, you know, President uh, Trump allowed him to kind of, you know, share with the nation that his company was doing all they could, making masks or whatever, you know, to help with the COVID-19 pandemic. And then he turned to the president and said, I, I've got some unscripted words. If you mind, would you mind if I share them? And the president said, basically, say on. And he began to call the nation in the Rose Garden at the White House back to God. Did you know that Mike Lindell was a drug addict? A crackhead who had done prison time? Who'd have thunk it, amen? But look at God. And then I'm, I'm, I'm watching, the, you know, I didn't watch it when it, the night it happened, but uh, the, the heavyweight boxing championship between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. I was pulling for Wilder, amen. He's a homeboy. I was pulling for Wilder to win. He'd been knocking everybody out. I thought, hey, Wilder's going to win. But Fury beat him. I didn't watch it the night it came out because it cost too much money. I'm a cheapskate, amen. But I did watch the, you know, the, the uh, fight the other day for free. Hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, Fury beat him. And people came to me and told me after the fight, when it, the night that it happened, they said, hey, you know, Fury won. I thought, oh, man, I gotta, can't wait till I can see it free so I can see what happened, you know. But they didn't tell me this. After Tyson Fury won the fight, they stuck the mic in his face, you know, with the belt around his, his shoulder or whatever, the heavyweight championship belt and all this. And the first thing he said was this, and I quote, first and foremost, I want to say thank you to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All praise, he went on to say, be to the one and only true God, Jesus Christ, close quote. Wow. Heavyweight boxing championship of the world. And the first thing he does is give glory to Christ. God is sovereign to use whomever he pleases and to move wherever he pleases. Amen. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope today. Hope in the fact that, that who you are, who you think you are, or where you might be right now during this COVID-19 pandemic, it's not a deterrent to God's love and God's power moving in you. God is not limited by the inadequacy of the vessel or the place the vessel has been put. God is sovereign. In verses 9 to 13, as we continue on, the Bible says, but there was a certain man named Simon 
who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom all, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. That's what they said about Simon. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, Simon the sorcerer also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, he's one of these signs and wonders guys, you know. He's caught up in the signs and wonders and all. Simon turned from sorcery to the Savior. Amen. He was a sorcerer. What is a sorcerer? A a person that practiced uh, the the arts uh, in all of the uh, occult, occult practices and fortune telling, uh, witchcraft, uh, interaction with evil spirits, and speaking to the dead. The Bible says that the children of Israel, God actually, through the law of Moses, forbid, forbade the children of Israel to participate in sorcery. It was forbidden. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 and 11 tells us that. And so this was a sin, what uh, Simon was doing, and he repented of his sin and he turned to Christ. In verse 14, the Bible says, Then when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen, he, uh, as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the obvious question here, excuse me, the obvious question is, why was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit delayed or withheld? Now, there are three possible reasons, and theologians who have a time, more time on their hands than they, they know what to do with, sit around and debate these things and all, but there are three possible reasons. I think there's one reason, actually, uh, above the three that are given. But the number one reason, some people say, not number one, but or the first reason I want to share with you, is that it was probably delayed, the Holy Spirit was withheld, because uh, God wanted uh, to uh, there to be an uh, apostolic confirmation. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that, as in Acts chapter 10, remember when Peter... Many of you remember when Peter went to Cornelius' house, he was a Roman centurion, and uh, he was a man of God. But uh, as Peter went to visit Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius in his household, and God wanted Peter to see that, apostolic confirmation to see that the same Holy Spirit that fell in Acts chapter 2 is the same Holy Spirit that fell upon Cornelius, that God is, there's no difference between Gentile or Jew. And God's lesson to Peter, of course, was do not call anything common that I have cleansed. 
And so maybe it was for the reason of apostolic confirmation, uh, Peter and John came down and God kind of held off on the, the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon them because of that reason. Some people believe, secondly, that uh, maybe it was because uh, uh, God wanted Peter and John to see uh, that Philip's ministry was validated by the Holy Spirit. But I don't believe those two. I mean, it could be possibly, but, you know, but I really believe that the, the most likely reason, the most contextual that is that it's in context of Scripture and the most scriptural explanation is there was a lack of teaching about the Holy Spirit. Multitudes, remember, are coming to Christ. And Simon is baptizing them as quick as he can. Didn't have time to really talk to them about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, definitely, when we come to Christ, comes to dwell within us. But they knew nothing about it. They were unfamiliar with it. And in fact, there are many believers, even to this day, who are unfamiliar with the infilling or the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, that he would send us a helper. The Holy Spirit would be our helper, our parakletos. It's a Greek word. It means comforter. He said that in John chapter 14, verse 16. A comforter that Christ freely gives to all who believe. The Holy Spirit lives within us. No one can come to the Father unless they are drawn by the Holy Spirit. No one can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, unless the Spirit of God bears witness within them. And those who have the Spirit are children of God, remember. So they had the Holy Spirit, but there was an unfamiliarity with it. And so due to unfamiliarity, many Christians, even to this day, try to live their Christian lives in their own strength, according to their own education and knowledge, or according to their own self-determination. And that's always a bad thing. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. We live according to the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us. It's by the Spirit of God, not our strength, not our own education or whatever. The Greek word in verse 16 for fallen is the word epipipto. And it means to press upon, to seize, to take possession. The Holy Spirit presses upon us, seizes us, takes control of us, takes possession of us as we yield ourselves to him on a daily basis. Why do I say that? Because Paul the Apostle said, I die daily. And if Paul needs to die daily to himself, that he might be filled, that Holy Spirit may come upon him, that he may have the power of the Holy Spirit with him. How much more do we need to die daily? You see, they... The early believers in Samaria had repented. They had come to Christ, but they were unaware. They were not yielded to the power of God residing in them. You know, it's like owning a car and not being aware that the car has an engine. A lot of believers are content to push their cars around. God has put an engine in the car. Why don't you get in the car and turn the key? Amen. It has an engine in it. It'd be foolish. How did you get to church today? See somebody pushing their car into the parking lot. One of the they have to be a strong somebody. But they're doing it in their own strength. Didn't you know that God put an engine in you? And I'm here to tell you, God placed an engine in every one of us. It's called the Holy Spirit. His power. 
the comforter, the one who's a helper to come alongside of us. But a lot of believers live their lives like a lot of these believers are living their life in Samaria, ignorant of the Holy Spirit. Now, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, I might tell you this, not might tell you, I'm going to tell you this, amen, because it's so true. God's power is only an ask away, a prayer away. The Bible says this, in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Jesus said, if you ask for bread, will he give you a stone? The power of God, the help you need right now, the comforter, is only an ask away, a prayer away. And then what did Jesus say? He said in Luke chapter 11, he said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask. God is waiting for you to ask. You've been trying to uh, uh, wait out this pandemic in your own strength, and you're failing. Will you ask him today for his help with his strength? Will you say, Lord, fall upon me, fill me with your Holy Spirit? Amen. Some of us need the power of God to live in the same house with your spouse. Hallelujah. You need the power of God to, to love your kids and to be the father or the wife or whatever God has called you to be. Or to be in the house by yourself if you're single. To not be doing goofy stuff. Lord, I need your power. His power is an ask away. Now, the problem is some ask, but as with Simon, we'll see here, they ask for the wrong reasons. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He was caught up in signs and wonders like a lot of believers today. And he offered to buy the power of God. Power as defined by Jesus Christ, is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. People say, what's the evidence of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to go with Jesus' definition. It's power. Oh, wait a minute. Where did he say that? Well, Acts 1.8. And you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Now, you shall receive, you know, uh, healing, and you shall receive this and all this. Those are attributes of the power of the Holy Spirit working. But the evidence of the Holy Spirit is power to be a witness for Jesus. Power to live for Jesus. That's what he said. That's his definition. And that power cannot be bought or controlled. As some preachers have intimated, have suggested. Hey, you got to send in your 1995 and I'll give you the power. That's heretical. Ungodly is not biblical. 
Peter and John laid hands on the people, but the power didn't belong to Peter and John. Laying on of hands was an act or a gesture of faith. But they didn't control the power. They did not own the power. It was of God. In verse 20, the Bible says, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, the power of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thoughts of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. I believe Simon was guilty of the sin of envy like a lot of believers. Bible says, do not envy one another. Oh, he wanted the power that he can impress people. He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. Simon's inability to receive the power of the Holy Spirit was not because he was not a believer. He was a believer, but because his heart was not right. God had revealed to Peter that your heart's not right. Therefore, Simon could not have any part or portion in the powerful workings of the Holy Spirit. There are many believers who are, will always be spectators and not participators because they're not yielded completely to the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses uh, one, to, 1 to 6, amen. James 4, verses 1 to 6. Listen to what James says. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet, and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that it may be spent, you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, he calls us out. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Oh, I want God's power and his, his blessing on my life so that I can impress people. Or is it just for my own fleshly gratification or agenda? You're being a friend of the world. That's the spirit of the world. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5, James chapter 4. Well, do you think that the spirit says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's that humble person, that broken and contrite heart God does not despise, that comes to the Lord and says, God, I need your help. 
Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. But that arrogant person who wants to just have the power of God or, or some advantage or they envy what other people have, God sees your heart and you'll never receive anything from the Lord. Bitter, proud, or, self, or sinful-minded believers, oh, believers, yes, believers, are too full of themselves to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We must empty ourselves. What's the remedy? Well, we see it there in verse 22. He says to Simon, Peter says to Simon, repent. Repent. That God may forgive you for this sin that you have in your heart. You're a bitter person, full of iniquity. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And so the Bible says, and Simon answered, praise God with the right answer. He said, pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached, that is Peter and John, the word of the Lord they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. I think that's interesting. They returned preaching the gospel in many of the villages of the Samaritans. On their way to Samaria, they didn't preach to anybody. At least the Bible doesn't say they did. But after they saw the move of God, the mighty move of God in Samaria, whoo, they told all every Samaritan they saw on their way back to Jerusalem about Jesus. There again, God's agenda being accomplished. Amen. In verse 26, as we continue, oh, this is good, amen? God is good. Praise his name. Verse 26, he says, Now an angel, the Bible says, And now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down, through, goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And now, I want to just stop there on verse 26 because it's interesting what's happening here. The angel spoke to him and said, you need to leave a revival. Leave the church of what's happening now. God's pouring out his spirit, people being healing. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. All these things are happening and God tells them it's time for you to leave. We don't want to leave them. We like to stay where it's all happening, right? And God tells him, leave. And not only that, go down on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, but also, hey, by the way, you're going to have to go through the desert. That's a great lesson there. Don't miss it. A lot of times when God calls you, the path that he leads you on often takes you through the desert. People say, oh, I want to serve God. God called you. He did? Oh, okay. You got to go through the desert. The Lord called me to preach his word and and. I know it was the fall of 1974, sitting in a Bible college classroom. But I didn't know I'd have to go through the desert, but I did. Through the wilderness. For over 20 years, trusting God, believing God. As God solidified the call in my life. It doesn't just happen. You, you, you know, sometimes you got to go, go, go through. Jesus, when he was called to ministry, to his ministry on earth. He was baptized by John. Then the Bible says the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert, to the wilderness. Why would God do that to me? 
He was led out there to be tempted that he might pass the test to be a pure sacrifice for our sins. For he was tempted as we were, yet without sin. And he passed the test. We have it. No man has. No woman has. But he did that he might be a pure and holy sacrifice for us. My friend, everybody aspires to be something, but you must go through something to be something. You must go through something to be something. In verses 27 to 35, the Bible says, so he arose. (laughs) Philip's a great example of faith for us. You know, if you're waiting for everything to be perfect with this pandemic before you walk by faith, you're going to be waiting a long time. God has called us to live by faith now. And Philip didn't wait for perfect conditions. He obeyed the voice of God. The Bible says that he got up and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia at that time, who had charge of all her treasury. And his brother was trusted, amen, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He's either a convert to Judaism or he was an Ethiopian Jew himself. And many of them that live in Israel even to this day, Ethiopian Jews. The Bible says, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. Verse 29, then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? I don't understand what I'm reading unless somebody explains it to me. And he asked Philip to come up and to sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet speak this, of himself? Or of someone else, some other person, some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And now as they were, they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Verse 37 And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Amen. What a beautiful account. There's 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 so many things going on here. So many things that are just such a blessing to look at here. But it's interesting to me that the Lord had him, Philip, 
approach this eunuch. An Ethiopian eunuch. From Africa. What's a eunuch? Well, a eunuch is a male servant of a royal household in Bible times. Such servants were often emasculated by castration. As a precautionary measure, especially if the if they served among the wives in the ruler's harem. Now, of course, he was a leader uh, in the administration, if you will, of Candace. She was a queen, the queen of Ethiopia. But he could have been a man who had been castrated. And probably even more so thinking about the fact that, hey, you don't have to worry about this guy running off with women or whatever. He's in charge of my money. He probably was emasculated. He probably was castrated. And he said, well, Pastor, what, what, problem, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I think it's interesting because the account we find here is very relevant to the times in which we live because we live in a time where there is gender confusion and there is gender reassignment going on everywhere. There are people calling themselves transgender and all of this. And this is a topic that, that the church would rather stay away from. They don't want to even talk about it. And, and God forbid that they actually have to talk to somebody who has gone through genital mutilation. And so we don't talk about it. It's kind of like, you know, it's the elephant in the room. We don't talk about it, but it's with us today. And what, what surprises me here is that in the text, this man who could have been emasculated, castrated, had genital mutilation done to his body, you know, for, to make sure that he wasn't running after women or whatever, being uh, head of all of the, the queen's money and all of that. This man, rather than God saying, oh, you know, he's different, don't go there. God says, by his spirit, go near. Don't avoid him, go to them. Don't shun them. Don't stop them at the door of your, your church because they're dressed like a woman. You know it's a man. Let them come in. Go near, Philip. Go near. The Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, told him to do that. You see, people may physically alter themselves, but the gospel is never altered. And whether you have damaged your life or changed your life mentally or emotionally or physically, the need is still the same, the need for a Savior. God is no respecter of persons. And so God told them to go near. In verse 35, Philip says, what are you reading? And he was actually reading, the text is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. 7 and 8. It's a messianic text. It speaks of Jesus Christ. In humiliation, he laid aside his justice. He was innocent, but in humiliation, he became guilty for us. And Philip began to share the gospel with him where he was at. What a great lesson for us. Share the gospel with people where they're at. He began to share Christ with him. Well, if I can just get him down to the church building, to a building. No, 
Speak to people where they're at. Can't come to the building right now. Amen. We need to share the gospel with people where they are at. And where he was in the text, that's where he began, and he began to share Christ with him. Now notice something in verses 36 to 37, that where there is genuine repentance, you don't have to drag people to church or sell people on the gospel. You don't have to appease people to obey the word of God. The Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, there's a mud puddle here, a little little bit of water here. What prevents me from being baptized right now? Because obviously Philip has shared with him, believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized. He said nothing. He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the opposite is true, my friend. If you're just playing games with God and you believe you're kind of just frivolously kind of, you know, going through the motions or whatever, you may not. But if you believe with all your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may. He said, you may. We can be baptized right now with this water. Amen. And the eunuch answered, I believe. My friend, it's just that easy. Just simply say, I believe. Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. Not God, I promise I'm going to be a better person. No, no, that doesn't work. Your righteousness is but a filthy rag in the sight of God. Just simply say, I believe. God's listening to your heart even right now. And you'll have an opportunity before we end our service today to say, I believe. To give your life to Christ. First John chapter 5, the word says, For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In Christ, this eunuch became an overcomer in Christ. He overcame through faith in Christ the deceptive lives of, lies of this world and of the devil which tells and promises people they'll have life if they will indulge themselves. They'll have life if they just reject God. They'll have joy and they'll have peace. And in reality, all it does is produces ruin and death. The thief, the devil, has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. In verses 38 to 40, as we get close to ending this chapter, The Bible says, so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. (laughs) But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, uh, uh, cities till he came to Samaria. Azotus is 20 miles south of Tel Aviv in Israel. And, of course, Caesarea, if you were with us, we went to Israel in February. We went to Caesarea. Caesarea, I believe, is around 54 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And so he stayed along, Philip stayed along the coast. I don't know, he was just liking that coast, I guess. But the Holy Spirit led him that way, preaching the gospel wherever he went. But note something here, that the eunuch went his way, the Bible says, rejoicing. 
In other words, he didn't need Philip around to have joy. His joy came from the presence of the Lord. Where's your joy coming from as a believer? Our joy is in the presence of the Lord. In your presence, Lord, is the fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. His presence, his presence, his presence is what we desperately need. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. The Lord will never leave you. He will never abandon you. I love what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He was talking about Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander the coppersmith persecuted Paul, gave him a hard time. And Paul said, at my first defense, everybody abandoned me. When I, you know, nobody stood with me when this guy was coming against me in the persecution. Everybody abandoned me. And Paul said, Lord, don't hold it to their charge. But he went on to say, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, he says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of, excuse me, out of the mouth of the lion. That's the devil. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that. That's been a source of great encouragement for me. All abandoned me, Lord, but you didn't abandon me. And here's the idea. You know what? People will come and go out of your lives. People who said they will always be there with you will one day not be there. But the good news is that the Lord will never abandon you. And he will deliver you from the mouth of the lion. Amen. His presence is our help. And he's a very help. Present help, the Bible says, Psalm 46, verse 1. He's a very present help in time of need. The Ethiopian eunuch understood that, and he went away rejoicing. Now, some people think that Philip vanished into thin air or whatever, but it just simply means that possibly the Holy Spirit uh, led him someplace else, that he didn't just evaporate in the air or whatever. But he just led him somewhere else. But even though the Ethiopian eunuch did not see him from that time on, he was rejoicing. Why? Because the presence of the Lord was sustaining him and keeping him. In conclusion, let me leave you with five things, five takeaways, and I'm going to go through them quickly. The first one is this from this message. What have we learned? Well, number one, that God uses trials for his agenda. God, a lot of times, will send trials into your lives to get you where you need to be, not where you want to be. That's number one. Number two is that obedience propels us to our purpose. Philip left the revival in Caesarea to fulfill God's purpose. He obeyed the voice of the Lord, even though he knew he would have to go through the desert. The third thing is that the Holy Spirit's help is just an ask, a prayer, Away. Have you asked them today? God's help is only an ask away. The fourth thing is that the gospel is not selective. In other words, it was for the eunuch. Probably someone who's had gender reassignment or, or genitalia, uh, genitalia mutilation. And yet God said, draw near. Do not call anything uncommon that God has cleansed. And God so loved the world. And we as a church are called to every man to preach the gospel to every person. 
Bible says, whoever, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Whosoever, whatsoever you think you are, have been. If you call on the name of the Lord right now, you'll be saved. And the fifth thing is this, that the, our joy comes from the presence of the Lord. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. That's a common encouragement in Scripture and what good advice it is. You've been listening to Pastor Al Pittman as we continue through the book of Acts. Join us next time as we go forward into chapter 9. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and keep listening to teachings from our church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. If you want access to a full library of teachings from Calvary Worship Center and Pastor Al Pittman, click in at cwccs.org and look under Media. That's also where you will find full information about our church in Colorado Springs, and you will have the opportunity to support this ministry financially. That is cwccs.org. Click under Give. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.